You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 37. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today we have for you the second part of our conversation with noise pollution researchers Heidi Ware and Jesse Barber. Heidi and Jesse, along with their collaborators Chris McClure and Jay Carlisle, have just this week published their second paper to come out as a part of the Phantom Road Research Project. While the first component of this research, which you can hear about in episode 32 of the podcast, addresses the impact of road noise on overall bird abundance, this new paper looks at the impact road noise has on the birds that choose to stay in the affected area. This is a really important question with strong management implications. As Heidi points out in the interview, very few people have looked at the impact on birds that remain in areas affected by road noise. And there has been a general assumption that these birds are habituated and therefore aren't being impacted. Heidi and Jesse, Jesse, with this research, have proven that this is not necessarily the case. This episode is paired with part two of our Phantom Road video. So if you haven't already, be sure to check out this new short film in which you'll see Heidi and Jesse working at the Phantom Road study site up along the Boise Ridge. We'll have this video along with the link to this new research paper on the show notes page for this episode at wildlensinc.org slash EOC37. Let's jump into the conversation. All right. I am here in the Radio Boise studios with Dr. Jesse Barber, who is an assistant professor at Boise State University, and Heidi Ware, who is a former master's student at Boise State and the current Education Outreach Director at the Intermountain Bird Observatory. And we're here for part two of our discussion about their Phantom Road research, which is uh, research that that they conducted uh, looking at the effects of road noise on wildlife. Um, So welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Yeah, great to be back. Yeah. Um, So uh, this... Second part of our conversation, we're going to focus on the results from uh, sort of the second uh, paper that has come out of this this Phantom Road research. Um, but I, I want to start things off just by sort of uh, giving folks a, a, a quick summary of, um, you know, what we talked about in the first uh, episode of this discussion, um, just in case people missed that. So to kind of make sure that everyone's on the same page here. So um, maybe you can just sort of very briefly um, tell me what, what the Phantom Road research is um, and, you know, what you were trying, what, what questions you were trying to answer with this research coming into it. So th- this is a, a noise pollution project. And we're, we're trying to ascertain the independent role of noise on known negative impacts towards birds from roads. The problem with, with, current road ecology literature is that we don't know what it is about roads that causes these repeatedly measured negative effects of roads on birds. So we lashed 15 pairs of speakers to trees up in the the mountains outside of town and turned the noise on and off in four-day blocks to try and ascertain what noise by itself does to bird populations. And that Uh, first study that we talked about last podcast showed about a 25% decline in bird abundance when the noise was on versus when the noise was off. 
Fantastic. So, um, yeah, so that, that first component of the research, as you mentioned, was looking at sort of overall uh, bird abundance, right? Um, so what this, this second piece uh, of, of the puzzle um, of the Fender Road research, um, what, uh, what questions you, uh, were you trying to answer with this? Yeah, well, so with our first paper, Dr. Chris McClure was sort of heading up that aspect of the project, looking at what was happening to bird abundance. And for my portion of the project, what I really wanted to focus on was what happens to the birds that stay. So we, f- we know that there are still birds at the site when we turn the noise on. And is there anything negative happening to these birds while they're there? And so in particular, I wanted to focus on some aspects of bird migration that are important. So most of the time, migrants, when they land at our Lucky Peak site, we know that they add fat. So they're adding fuel to continue on their migration journey. And so I wanted to find out, are birds still adding fat in the same way if we turn the road noise on? And in addition to that, after our first season, we were seeing some impacts. And I really wanted to get at the heart of why road noise is able to cause these decreases in bird fat, essentially. And so I took birds into the lab, and I watched them feed during road noise playback, as well as in quiet conditions, to see if they were foraging less or maybe being more vigilant, looking around for predators more when there was road noise on. And I found that that was the case. They don't eat as much when the road noise is on, and they spend a lot of time looking around for potential predator attacks. Huh. Fascinating. Um, So... You were bringing these birds into the lab and, and monitoring. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that that was a, a, a piece of what you were doing. So, um, but you were in, in addition to that, you were also looking at the body condition of of birds um, out at the site. Correct. Correct. So in the field, we were banding birds. So we caught them in mist nets and we attached a little numbered tag to their legs so we could identify individuals. And while we had them in the hand, we looked at body condition index characteristics. So we looked at their fat score, which you can see through their skin. You can see how much fat they're carrying. But we also calculated a body condition index. So, you know, if you've ever gone to the doctor's office, they may have calculated a body mass index for you based on how tall you are and how much you weigh. And we did something similar with the birds where we measured how long their wings were and then weighed them. And that that allowed us to get sort of a finer measurement of how much um, fuel stores, how much fat these birds were carrying during migration. And so what, what, what did you see when you compared your, the control site to, to the study site? When we compared the control site to the Phantom Road site, we found that birds had lower, lower overall body condition at the Phantom Road site. And we also found that some species actually slowed down their rate of gaining fat throughout the day. So you can look at bird captures during the day and see on a graph an increase in their body condition as they add fat, which you'd expect. But when you graph that same body condition gain when the road noise is on, it's lower. And in some species, very significantly lower um, when you turn the road noise on. So maybe you can sort of explain why this is so important. You know, why is it so important for birds to be uh, gaining these fat stores during migration? Well, for migrating birds, fat stores indicate how far they can fly on their next leg of migration. So for most songbird species, they migrate at night. 
and they fly all night long and burn those energy stores until eventually they need to land to replenish those stores. And so we know that there are some places where a bird may land, say the desert, where they land and they don't gain mass, and they just have to continue migrating without adding that fuel. But we also know that when they don't have sufficient fuel stores, they don't migrate as fast. They may have to stop longer on their next leg of migration, um, or they may arrive in really poor condition to their wintering grounds, which has implications for the rest of their life cycle as well. How does the Lucky Peak site, you know, when uh, sort of your control site, right, where there's no road noise, um, you know, how does it compare in sort of the big picture scheme of things of migration sites? I mean, is it a, a really productive site where um, those birds are able to, to really build up their fat stores uh, very quickly? Yes. And so we really benefited again from the Intermountain Bird Observatory's previous research on this topic. So Dr. Jay Carlisle, our, our research director, conducted his PhD here. And he found that at this site, most species are adding mass. And so overall for the bird community, it's a really great and really valuable place for them to stop over, which, you know, is, is why we see so many birds stopping at this site is because it really is valuable for adding those fast stores that they need. Gotcha. So I'm wondering if you saw any differences, uh, from species to species as far as the impact that the um, road noise was having um, on, on body condition? Definitely. So we were able to look at 21 species individually, and we found that many of them, I believe nine different species, showed negative impacts from road noise. And of those 21 species, we also saw, again, just like our previous abundance research, that Cassin's finches actually showed increased body condition uh, mass gain in road noise. So again, we're looking at this weird dynamic where different pieces of the bird community are responding differently to noise. And, you know, that has implications for if we're throwing off the balance of this bird community, you know, what's going to happen? And we also know that some species are responding extremely negatively um, to this road noise. Um, And I should also mention, so one thing I found really interesting was that one of the bird species, McGillivray's warbler, was a species that Dr. McClure found stayed at the site in road noise. And I also found in my bird net captures that the McGillivray's warblers didn't decrease in number at the site, but they were the species that showed the strongest negative effect of body condition index. So previous research had sort of shown that, okay, bird species are staying, they're not impacted. But what I found was, you know, in this case, this species in particular stayed, but was really, really negatively impacted by the road noise. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just want to reinforce what Heidi said, that I agree, that's that's the coolest thing about her study and, and this finding is that, and and the title of this paper that Heidi came up with is that traffic noise is, is an invisible source of habitat degradation. And and that's the heart of of her point is that even species that don't leave could still be showing an impact. And time and time again, when I've been in in natural resource management working groups where where you know scientists are brought in to try and 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 look at at broad impacts, people bring up all the time. Well, these animals are habituated, meaning we don't see them leaving; they're present in this disturbance. And Heidi's work, I think, highlights that that. 
just because they're there doesn't mean there isn't a cost. Definitely a fascinating finding. So I guess I'm just wondering, big picture, I mean, was there any other component of these results that, that was surprising to you? I think one thing I wasn't exactly sure about was whether these results would actually come through as significant. So before we started our research, I hypothesized that maybe road noise would interfere with birds' ability to add fuel. But I know that, you know, ecology is complicated. So I was sort of wondering, are these effects going to be strong enough that they're going to show up through all the noise of other factors that may be changing bird um, body condition? So a storm or different time of year, um, different events that may affect a bird's mass gain. Now, I wasn't sure if our noise would be enough to really show what was happening. And, you know, we've come to find out the effect was strong enough that we were able to see it in quite a few different species. And we weren't playing the noise that loud. We were replicating Mm -hmm. a road of cars going 45 miles an hour. Now, admitted continuously, but that's that's nowhere near as loud as roads get. And yet we still found these these marked impacts. So um, in... In our last episode, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the management implications um, of this research. And I, I guess I'm wondering um, if these new results, um, if, if you see there being any sort of shift in, um, in the implications uh, for, for management um, now that we have more information about the impacts that, that road noise has on birds. Well, I hope it sort of shifts perspective beyond looking at just abundance. So a lot of previous research has just used abundance alone to decide whether a species is being impacted or not. And I think in particular for a threatened species, if all you did was look at numbers, you may be missing something and missing a key impact that road noise is having on a species. So we're talking about these bird species um, who you know, are, are seeing this as you you know as you say um, this invisible effect of of road noise, right? Um, I, I guess I'm wondering if if you've tried to tie that into uh, research that's been done looking at the actual impact that that decrease in body condition has when those birds you know reach their destination at the end of their migration. Mm, yeah, so there's been some pretty interesting research done. Um, particularly, particularly on American red starts, looking at carryover effects. So if a bird arrives on its wintering grounds in low body condition, what does that mean for the rest of the winter for that bird? And subsequently, what does that mean for its next breeding season? And the Mara Lab has some interesting results where they've found that American red starts that leave their breeding grounds in low body condition arrive at their wintering grounds with low body condition. And because of that, they're not able to fight for the best territories. They're not able to get at the best food resources. And that in turn leads to them arriving again on their breeding grounds with low condition. So if we're seeing this cumulative effect where birds are continually landing at places where humans are impacting their habitat, we may see these body condition decreases affecting the whole entire rest of their life cycle, not just migration. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, there, there is this large body of research on the effects of noise pollution on people, right? Um, 
And, you know, th- this is sort of something that, that folks have been investigating for a lot longer than folks have been looking at the impacts that, that noise pollution might have on, on wildlife and on birds. Um, I, I guess I'm wondering if, I mean, do you guys see similarities between the impacts that road noise might have on people and, and, and this research? Like, it, 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 it seems like there's a connection here between um, this body condition component of the research and, you know, more so than, than just looking at distribution, right? It, it, it seems like there, there could be, um, I don't know, a, a, a connection there on some levels. That's, I wonder if that's something you've thought about. I think, I mean, there is a connection in terms of stress that regardless of the mechanism of which stress is induced in animals or people, we, we're seeing these body condition changes, distributional changes, in birds and then in people we know there's a link between sound level at your home and your risk for hypertension so there there is there are those broad connections i think the the difference is that birds and other wildlife are still critically dependent upon their acoustic environment they use it to find mates food and to avoid predators whereas we are so removed from the natural world that those those missing cues that might be covered up by noise are no longer have consequence to our success. Right. So it's inducing stress either way, whether it's a, a bird or a person, it's just that we have ways to overcome so that that stress doesn't necessarily, at least directly lead to, or have consequences for our sur- survival. Right. Whereas it, it clearly does with, with birds. Yeah. So for the birds, if you take away their ability to listen for predators, they, have a higher risk of getting eaten, right? And so what we're seeing is birds are changing their behavior to adapt to that. And, you know, other research has shown that children change their uh, behavior in response to road noise. So children have shorter attention spans. They don't learn as well in noisy environments. And so, you know, maybe there's sort of a loose connection there where noise is changing behaviors and maybe the humans or the birds aren't really noticing these you know, if you ask them to think about it, they may not even think about the road noise, but, you know, in the background, it still is changing behavior. Fascinating. Fascinating. I guess my question is about the logistics of uh, how you um, set up this phantom road. And you mentioned that you turn the road on for four days and then you leave it off for four days. Um, but is is this noise being played uh only during the day, or is it 24 hours for that four-day period? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. So we wanted to match sort of natural traffic patterns, and one thing about most road noise is that it varies from day to night, you know, mostly based on humans' schedules. And so we wanted to replicate that, and we started playing the road noise early in the morning, and then we turned it off, you know, as it got dark in the evening around 9 o'clock to sort of match, you know, a typical commuter traffic schedule. And one thing that is interesting about this is it gave us an interesting component of our research because most of our songbirds that we're studying are migrating at night and they're making their decision to land at a stopover site at, you know, three, four in the morning before our road noise was even playing. And I think this matches pretty well with natural systems. So what we were interested to find out is maybe this is actually causing a trap for these birds. So they land at the site, it's quiet, it seems like a wonderful stopover site, and then all of a sudden in the morning, the humans wake up and start creating all this noise, and the birds are stuck for that day. You know, they've just migrated, they're there, 
and they have to wait for the next night to leave again. And so does this create sort of a trap where birds don't realize that it's noisy, and so they can't choose to avoid the noise. They simply land and then find out it's noisy when it's too late. Oh, that's fascinating. And so, I mean, did you did you have a way to to test that, or is that just sort of... Uh, sort of a thought experiment that that you guys were playing as you went through this process? Um, Yeah, just something that we definitely considered while we were conducting the research. And, you know, it it factored into why we decided to play the road noise following this pattern is because we wanted to match natural patterns so that if that was occurring, we would catch that and detect it in our results. And it would be an interesting idea to pursue experimentally. You could have some Mm -hmm. sites where you did play it at night. But the, the other thing sort of related to what Heidi was just saying that we don't know is what happens in these natural traffic noise exposed areas that don't just last four days. Is the body condition impacts on birds such that they don't get to a place where they can leave very easily? And so what, what we noticed was only over this very short time scale, which clearly um, a lot of stopover habitat is exposed to noise continuously. Right. So what's happening in the wintering grounds, what's happening in the, happening in the breeding grounds, um, and, and, you know, are, are birds experiencing these same declines in, in body condition, um, mm-hmm. you know, over longer periods of time um, when they're staying in one place for, for a longer time? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, I guess, I guess a, an, an area for, uh, for someone else out there to continue the research. Um, and, and, and speaking of continuing research uh, in um, this, this realm of noise pollution, um, Jesse, I, I, I wanted to ask you about um, some, uh, a new research project that, that you have going, which in, in a certain way is a continuation of this Phantom Road project. You're, you're, you've been calling it the, uh, the Phantom Gas Field. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can sort of g- give us an introduction to that project and sort of let us know where you're at in that. Yeah, so it's kind of due to a lack of originality that we gave it the same name. But the, <laughs> the experiment's similar. It's, it's speakers in, in natural habitat where we're, we're trying to see what the independent role of noise is. But so the, the one thing we didn't address in Heidi's study is the breeding season. So the scientific community has yet to look at, at this issue on a landscape scale during the breeding season because Heidi's work is the really the only landscape stuff. So... We're replicating that in some sage step outside of Boise here where we have six noise sites and six control sites, and we're monitoring the distribution of birds, bats, and insects. And we actually have some collaborators both at Boise State and at Idaho State that are looking at sagebrush, looking at plant fitness. And so we're trying to see if there's a trophic connection between these levels with our hypothesis being that noise drives vertebrates away. It drives the bats and birds away, which allows insects to amplify because these are the predators of insects, which then cause the sagebrush to decline. This basic connection, this trophic cascade connection has been shown, but no one's examined if noise can be the razor to cut it apart. Right, right. Fascinating. So, um, at, at, at what stage in, in that project are you at right now? We're wrapping up data collection uh, right now, actually. We'll, we'll, we'll run the noise playback to the end of the summer and into the early fall just to match the sagebrush phenology. That's when they lose some of their leaves, and we're, we're looking at some of the, the metrics that would, will require measuring those. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah, we're close to wrapping that up. Gotcha. And what, when do you expect to see the results from that? 
I think that we'll probably get the first paper published this winter. And we're the the I can tell you already that the bird distributional changes match what what Heidi's shown during fall migration. So you see similar things going on during the breeding season. Mm-hmm. And are you looking at at body condition as well as overall abundance with that as well? No, we're not looking at body condition. Mostly just from a resource limitation that we only have the personnel and the funding to focus on these trophic cascades and the abundances of these different organisms. Gotcha. So. Um, just to kind of wrap things up here, um, um, I, 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 I like to end. Um, I like to end a, a lot of these episodes with sort of uh, a thought that that our guests might have about how our listeners might be able to uh, uh, sort of contribute or get involved in in, in a particular issue. Um, so I, I guess I'm wondering if there's anything that you can point to that folks who might be listening to the show who you know want to. Uh, take steps to, um, you know, to help wildlife and, and to decrease um, road noise or noise pollution uh, in general. Um, is, is there anything you can point to that, that might be a way for uh, folks to, um, to help out or to get involved? I guess one thing that I can think of is that, you know, managers, they often base their decision off of a best compromise between what the humans want and what the wildlife needs. And so, I think by letting managers know that this is an important issue to us, I think that can help them, you know, have that incentive and have that sort of justification for making these changes. And, you know, it's going to require spending some money to change the material of the road. And if they have the backing from the community, I think they'll have the support they need to actually get stuff like that done. Yeah, I agree with, I agree with Heidi. And in terms of one thing you I could think of in terms of tangible behavior that they could change tomorrow is is when you're driving on a road surrounded by natural habitat slow down you'll your noise footprint will be much smaller your chance of of killing wildlife by collisions will be dramatically reduced that's that's the most tangible thing you can do gotcha yeah and it it seems to me like you know we've been talking about um the national parks as sort of uh, you know maybe being that that first step towards uh, implementing or, or coming up with ideas um, to mitigate um, the effects of, of noise pollution um, on wildlife. But I mean that is important for humans too because you know the these parks are places that you know that that all of us go to um, to experience you know the the natural wonder of the outdoors um, and. You know, as we've talked about, you know, there is a certain amount of stress that comes along with with noise pollution, and it can. Uh, uh, I think it's safe to say that it, it can uh, decrease the pleasure of, of, of that experience. Um, and so, like you said, Heidi, you know, bringing this issue to the attention of you know folks at the Park Service or, or you know the policymakers or land managers who are the ones responsible for making those decisions, I think is is definitely an important step as well. Great. Well, thanks a lot, guys, for um, participating in this conversation. It's been a lot of fun, and it's been uh, super interesting for me to, to hear about the results uh, from, from this new research. So, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. All right. That was our conversation with Heidi Ware and Jesse Barber. It's always a pleasure to work with scientists who care about the broader outreach and education efforts associated with their research. Heidi is a great example of this, as she became the Outreach and Education Director of the Intermountain Bird Observatory after receiving her master's degree at Boise State. 
Heidi talks to kids of all ages about birds on a daily basis, and she's an expert science communicator. The Intermountain Bird Observatory, where she works, is a very special organization for us, partly because of the amazing research and education programs that they offer, but also because their Lucky Peak migration site was the subject of our very first Eyes on Conservation video almost three years ago. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, we'll have links to this new research paper, as well as part two of our Phantom Road video, up on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC37. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. The Humidors.